And he looked at me and he said, boy, this ain't the lunch line. You don't let nobody in line. He says, you let somebody in line like that again, and I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to regret it. Episode 2, Corey Texter and Jake Johnson podcast. We don't have a name yet. We've been calling it the Unnamed and Untamed podcast. want to thank you guys for coming on board and listening to episode one. We had a, a lot of listeners, a lot of feedback. We love it. We're keeping this fun, keeping it entertaining. And here we are already episode two. Jake, let's get it going. Yeah. What's up, guys? Uh, we'll just dive right into it. It's been a lot of lot of things going on the last couple of weeks. Uh, obviously, the biggest last week, the big announcement of uh, Henry Wiles headed to Richie Morris Racing in the singles class. So yeah, it's kind of a was kind of a shocker. Big um, news. I mean, the guy finished second in the Twins Championship a couple years ago. Two years ago. Um, you know, now riding the singles. So, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. I mean, you've uh, you were kind of there, Corey, huh? A couple years ago. I mean, you were riding basically the Super Twins class or whatever it was called then. What does what does Henry have to look forward to? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's gonna look forward to much, especially when he gets on those bigger tracks with some of those kids. I've never rode a race on a mile where I was scared of somebody ass packing me from behind. And it actually happened at sack mile. I was going to the corner and just got my legs sawed off going into turn one. And in the expert twins class, you don't have to worry about, about that racing with guys like yourself and cool Beth and Jared Meese, Briar Bauman. But yeah, no, that was big news. We kind of already kind of knew about it. We've heard about the rumor. We were actually debating on dropping it last week for the episode and we didn't, we didn't do it. But yeah, I think that's that's crazy news. You know, Wiles is a really, really good rider. Just ask him, he'll tell you. <laughs> no, no, he's a great rider and he'll do well, I think. I, I think um, you know, I've ridden for Richie Morris and you know, Richie he treated me well and you know, it was uh it was a good deal for the most part. But Richie's got a strong personality, Henry's got a strong personality. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But we all know Henry can ride a bike. And we saw last year that Richie and his team can build fast Hondas. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, Henry is, I mean, he was kicking all of our asses on the TTs a couple years ago when we were on 450s. So, I mean, from the outside looking in, the, the, the TTs and short track should be a gimme. You know, I mean, that's that's what's expected. You think? Um, yeah, you would think. I mean, obviously, there's some fast guys. I mean, Mikey Rush and, you know, is a good TT short track guy. And Janish. Janish, I mean, you could you can name a bunch. But, yeah, I mean it's just uh it's just pretty shocking you know people have asked me why don't you just get a 450 to ride or why don't, you know why don't you do this and man it's 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 tough you know yeah. like i mean he's a racer i understand his decision why he did it i mean he's a racer it was a, it was an open job right you know he wants to race um but in a sense for him it's kind of a at least the way i'd look at it for me you know it's kind of a a lose-lose scenario um, that's what I was thinking. You know, if he if he goes out there and wins everything, wins the championship. Supposed to. He, oh yeah, he's a, he's cherry picking, of course. You know, he's he's won twins races, he's won this, he's won, he's won that. But if he goes out and doesn't win, then like it doesn't look good, right? Yeah, I no, mean, it's a lot of pressure. Just, it's yeah, I mean, a lot of it, pressure. And, and like there's a lot of talent in that class and a lot of things, and you know, so it's it's not guaranteed. Um, so I mean, yeah. there's a lot of talent, but the biggest thing is the lack of racecraft that these kids have they just send it 
And when you're on a mile and you're going 120 and you have guys diving every which way, Henry's never experienced that. So, yeah, it'll be interesting, you know, and it's kind of funny because, you know, I've seen a lot of comments on social media. When I drop down to the singles and I drop down the production twins, I'm saying dropping down, just generally speaking. I don't think it's dropping down at all, but I was scrutinized. You know, it's, oh, he's cherry picking. Oh, he can't hang. He's doing it because of this. When Henry drops down, it's AFT's fault. You know, oh, Henry's dropping down because AFT, they have a crappy program and it's AFT's fault when Henry drops down. But when I drop down, I got hammered for it. Um, I'm a cherry picker, but the number two guy in the twins class from last year drops down. It's AFT's fault. So I just get the shit end of the deal every time, <laughs> I guess. But no, it'll it'll be good. It'll It'll liven up the singles class a lot. And yeah, I mean, I guess it does make a big statement about the twins class, really. So we will, um, we'll see. Yeah, I think he'll be strong on the TTs. He'll be strong on the short tracks for certain. The biggest equalizer is going to be on the half miles and the miles. We know the bike's fast, but he's never really had to race a lot of those kids, you know, Ryan Wells and, and just a lot of the young kids coming up, Shayna. I mean, Shayna and him on a mile, you know, it's going to be, it'll be interesting. I, I'm looking forward to it. Um, Henry hates to lose. So yeah. I'm sure he's going into it expecting to do well, and he should, but it's not as easy as it looks from the outside. Yeah. What, what I'm curious, I mean, there's a couple of things I'm curious about, but uh, they head into the, into the miles and uh, we, we all know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not bashing the guy, but Henry's, I mean, like you said, he's he's got an ego. He's proud of himself. It's kind of part of his personality, part of his character, you know, like he's always played that. So he did push-ups when he won a race. I know, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, what's gonna happen when he's battling Shayna at Sack Mile? Shayna don't and take she, any shit. No, and she doesn't nah. take any shit and <laughs> she wins it and beats him. Like, I yeah, mean, yeah. Like I love Shayna, you know Shayna is like a sister to me. But that's another reason I couldn't race the 450 class because like yeah. I, I'm not, I don't have a big ego or I don't have anything. Like I'm not sexist. I'm not, you know, like a equal opportunity, whatever. But I would not like getting beat by a girl. No, it's it, just something it, about it, tough, it, right? Dude. I mean, well, I mean, it's it's my sister on top <laughs> no, of I it, know. so it sucks. And yeah. she's a badass, you know. Like I, you shouldn't feel bad about it. Yeah, but you know, but just... for. Somebody like him, it's like yeah, no, it'll be it'll be good. I'm I'm looking forward to it. We'll see how that plays out. I don't know if we touched upon it too much last week, but you know we got Brian Smith and the Howerton team. Um, they announced their plans for next year. Vance and Hines joining Jared Vanderkoy and Dalton Gauthier. I thought that was pretty interesting. I kind of once again we heard the rumors. We're gonna start dropping rumors here every week before they announce it. Um, but yeah, I think that that's pretty cool. I'm I'm really I think. Vance and Hines made a great move bringing on Ricky Howerton. I think that guy is one of the best there is when it comes to putting together programs and building engines and know, knows what works in flat track. So I'm, I'm excited about that. I still think Jared's going to lead the team. You know, you bring a guy like Brian on, he's won championship. You know, he he's won, man, I don't know, 30, 35 races. But Jared Vanderkoy just performs every year on that Harley and doesn't get the credit he deserves and I still think Jared's going to lead the Harley team most of the time on the XG. But I also think Brian Smith, his ceiling is a lot higher. I think he could win some of those miles if the bike is running how they need it. Yeah, I, I would say the same thing. I think, you know, obviously Dalton is going to be a learning year. I mean, he was fast uh, in the production class when the bike finished. But yeah, like, like you said, I think Jared, he's been on the bike for two years now at two, least three two, years yeah. and whatever it's been i mean and, and he's been a you know great great on the tts great on you know all around 
guy. You know, we all know great rider. We all know Brian isn't a big fan of the TTs. I mean, he didn't ride a couple of them last year. Right. Um, you know, so I think overall, like you said, I think I think Jared's going to be the the overall guy in points at the end of the year. Um, but yeah, like you said, I, Brian. I mean. He's, he's great. Is, yeah, he is a mile master. I've seen him win some miles on some pieces of shit. And that XG, I mean, that thing's getting better and it's fast. You know, racing against that thing over the last year or two, I mean, that thing goes like hell on a straight line. And I know he's ridden worse through the corners. So um, I think he's going to be a threat on some of the miles, most of the miles probably, but it's still going to be, I mean, they're still developing. It's still going to be a developing thing. Right. No, we'll see how that plays out. It's a good opportunity for Dalton. So that was cool to see. Um, you know, I'm definitely, he's a local boy near us. So cool to see him get the opportunity. Hope he does well. And then, you know, we didn't talk about it too much, but Brandon Price, Dan Bromley on the roof systems team. We've heard some rumors about Brandon Robinson possibly joining the roof systems and possibly somebody else, but we're not certain. So we'll see what happens with the whole Roof Systems Super Twins team. Jerry Stinchfield puts a lot of heart into his program, so that'll be that'll be cool to see. And then this week, the biggest news recently was Davis Fisher to Johnny Goad, Briggs Auto team. Pretty awesome. You know, we were just talking about it before the show, but Davis is a really good rider. We like to give him crap about the uh, Rapid City loop over deal, but Davis is a good rider, and... Johnny Goat is a legend, so that'll be interesting. Jake, you rode for Johnny. Yeah, I rode for Johnny for, yeah, basically a year. Um, I actually won two nationals with him. We won Hagerstown and Springfield, Springfield that year, and they were both in the mud, basically. Yep. Um, but, yeah, Johnny, he's, uh, like you said, he's a legend. Um, just so many stories, funny funny guy. I, I can Southern just. Southern uh, draw. Oh, yeah. I want to be a fly on the on the canopy <laughs> in that pit this year, just uh just hearing Johnny, you know. We'll get Hacker. Well, actually, let's get into it, actually. Our, our guest for this week is Mike Hacker, former national number 67. A lot of guys know Hacker as, like, a rider coach, mechanic. But Hacker used to twist the throttle. I think he's won four or five nationals. He's beaten some of the best riders there is. Really, really phenomenal rider. He has the Ride Academy Riding School. Does a lot in the sport. He's been around for a long time. He's got a lot of great insight. And Hacker is from the same state, Virginia, as Johnny Goad. And Hacker's got some good stories. Try and get a Johnny Goad impression out of him. Hacker's really good with impressions. But Hacker, Mike Hacker's our guest for this week before we get too far into it. But, um, yeah, big news. Davis Fisher, Johnny Goad team. Really excited to see how that plays out. Johnny, like we said, Johnny's a legend. And that'll be interesting. And then, yeah, a couple more things we want to touch upon before we get into our first guest. Timonium was last weekend and boy was it fun yeah we, we we talked about it a little bit uh on episode one we had paul lynch on and um paul was hiring a uh uh ringer to, to come in and, and try to knock you knock you off your throne and i i don't know what happened i just I, I didn't see the race i don't know the results but i know there was some drama yeah well i mean timonium it's an indoor it's 6.5 second lap times if you're me, usually six seven. If you're Don Don, but ouch. but it was good. It was entertaining for the fans. I um I was able. Timonium's a lot of luck. Anytime you can walk out of there with a win, you usually had luck on your side. So I was able to win the first main in the dash for cash. The second main, there's a little bit of drama on the starting line. Me and Don Don were chirping back and forth. I jumped the start. He ended up. Uh, I went 
into the first corner from the third row and I tipped it over and stalled it or whatever. Don Don ended up winning. And yeah, it was just a little bit of drama afterwards, but we love it. We love that stuff. The fans love it. We were digging it. So it was uh it was good. And uh yeah, Timonium. What can you say? We we gotta do it, man. Yeah, I mean uh, I've got stories about Timonium, but uh, I, I've raised Don Don a lot over the years, and uh, Timonium's always been like his like specialty. Like Bulk I mean, cup. we would uh, you know we would race whatever outside whatever, but it came to Timonium, and it was just just being so tight. It was just like he's a big dude, man. man. Things are gonna happen, and uh, he's a it's a brawler. Yeah, and he always liked to to talk a little smack and try to try to get you wound up. Did. Uh, did you get in your head a little bit or what? He had me wound up. I was fired up toward the end of the night. He had me pretty uh pretty fired up. <laughs> but he's a great rider. I'm actually a Don Don fan. I was a little bummed out that it, it, it started to get chirpy, but I'm there to chirp, man. I mean I I'm I'll fire right back. So yeah, no, it was good. The fans loved it. I was able to uh like I said, grab a, another win, dash for cash win, kinda dethroned myself i guess jumping the start but he rode good talked to paul this week he was uh yeah he was he was he was loving it put the number 19 on top so that was that was good for paul but i'm hungry for next year yeah i almost put a call into the baltimore county trail riders saying we need a round three of the indoors in january sometime just so you guys could settle this let's do it let's you, do it you think we can make that happen I don't know. If you make enough money at the the winter throwdown, you're gonna probably want it. We could uh, probably rent it out. Or we could just we could just do a parking lot battle. It's basically the same thing. We just set up cones in a parking lot and just get after it. Whatever. It's all it's all good. I'll I'll be flagger. I'll referee it. Yeah, my basement. We've ridden in my basement. We can get nasty in the basement. It's no thing. No, it was good. I had a good time, and uh, you know, it was it was good to have uh, some intensity at those indoor races. The fans love it, so it was good. And then, yeah, the only other thing I wanted to talk about, touch upon before we call Mike Hacker, is my winter throwdown. A little uh, advertisement there, free advertisement, January 10th and 11th, Callahan, Florida. Check out the uh, winter throwdown on Facebook, Instagram. We have some riders that have uh, already signed up. One of them, the king of cool, coming out of retirement, Kenny Coolbeth. I think he still knows how to turn left, I, I guess. We uh, That guy, man. Like, what's all these guys retiring and then, oh, I'm going to race? Yeah, I was busting his balls last year. Like he he just announces his official retirement. Oh, going racing a throwdown. Going racing to Ocala. Going racing. Going racing. Going racing. Hey, Kenny, retirement means you don't race anymore. You don't race anymore. Maybe it's just an AFT retirement, or maybe they wouldn't let him come back after he (laughs) was Muhammad Ali on the racetrack. But yeah, no, I'm excited. It's gonna be a good race. We've been putting a lot of time and effort into it. I I couldn't afford to pay Shana Texer any show up money. But we got Kenny Coolbeth, so it's going to be good. Jeremy's possibly. We got Ryan Wells, some some other people coming on. Cole Zabala told me he was coming, possibly Ben Lau. Did I say Halbert? I think Sammy Halbert's going to come. Brandon Robinson, the the winner from last year. Is he bringing his cat? <sighs> yeah, is he bringing his cat? Dude? What a guy. I don't know about his cat, but B-Rob will be there. And uh, yeah, it'll be good. So looking forward to it. Once again, thank you guys for tuning in. We're working slowly into this. We don't want to peak too early. We're trying to just slowly get up to the where we want to be. And uh, we appreciate you guys and, and all the listens and all the follows and everything like that. Well, let's call our first guest, Carter, Chris Carter, producer. Can you make it happen? Call Mike Hacker. You know I can. I just need his number. Shoot that over to me. I'll get it to you now. All right. Dialing Hacker.
hello, this is my caca. Oh, will you save me 15% on car insurance? I don't do insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, what an intro. What, what an intro. Uh, Mike, Mike Hacker, the Geico man. Corey gave a little intro earlier. Um, obviously, I, I probably know Mike better than anyone. Yeah, I mean, we're like brothers. We've... Uh, we were teammates basically from my rookie year. He's worked for me. Uh, we've won championships together. We've hated each other. We've done riding schools together. We've gone out and finished 15th in the points together. We've, we've done it all. We've done it all. So uh, Mike Hacker, racer, ex-national number 67, four national wins, 883 champ. Four lonely wins, yep. Four lonely wins. But yeah, what's uh, what's going on? Just sitting in the office here in the little uh, hamster cage, making the wheel go around. I've actually gone pretty far back with Hacker myself. He actually rode um, rode for Johnny Goad. My dad sponsored the team. I actually, as a young buck, my uh, instant messenger screen name was, it's ridiculous, but it was Sir Winnelot 67 because I was a Mike Hacker fan. <laughs> I didn't win anything, but it was Sir Winnelot 67, and I grew up kind of you know, being a Mike Hacker supporter, he flew the Lancaster Harley Davidson colors. Happy to have you on the show, man. Thank you. I know you have a lot of insight, and we appreciate you coming on. I uh, appreciate you guys um, inviting me. Uh, you know, I never, never got the invite to the Doobie Doobler show, so this is an honor. You know, did you guys let me come on your your podcast? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're still new, so I mean, we called a lot of people, and a lot of people turned us down. You're the first one to say yes, so <laughs> we figured uh, we could scrape something together. But no, uh, we had we had Paul Lynch on last week, and you guys are well, you're a little older than Paul, but you guys are kind of the same uh, same generation, I would say. Um, so you you grew up in a tough time. I mean, there was a lot of fast guys, uh, amateurs at that time. Um, I know the guys that you, that you chase, but who was the toughest guy you had to race with as a kid? I know there's a lot, but I know there's there's probably one guy out there that you kind of always got beat by or hated to get beat by or, or what? Who, who was that guy? So, you know, Ken, Ken Coolbath, he's a little bit younger than me, but uh, that was he was the guy, you know, as we went from – 80s to 125s you know the 250s uh i just spent you know even though he was younger than me i spent my time chasing him and kenny coolbath really taught me how to race motorcycles uh on accident i don't think he wanted to i don't think he was aiming to but uh from chasing him and his natural ability and you know watching him double down shift a, a kx80 at hanover speedway in pennsylvania and going Oh, that's how I got to do it in order to get out of the corner, you know, and just, just studying him. But he was definitely, uh, the guy that I always tried to chase, you know, and try and, uh, try and beat and learn off of. Well, you grew up in Virginia. You've been, uh, like you just mentioned, you raced at Hanover, which is trailway speedway, really well-known racetrack in district six. Let's talk a little bit about your amateur career, how you kind of got started a little bit and where you raced at as a kid growing up. Virginia, there's not a lot of racetracks down there. I guess they had greens as a greens raceway at one point and some other tracks, but where black did you, 95, black 95. <laughs> where did you race that growing up? So, you know, I got to race one time in Virginia as an amateur because, uh, greens was already shut down 
and we were going to the Richmond Fairgrounds. If you look at the Google Maps of the the car speedway, you can just faintly see the short track still on the parking lot of the Richmond International Speedway. And so we were we would go there and watch. And I kept telling my dad I wanted to race. I want to race. And he said if if you uh, if you can beat me, I'll let you race. So uh, we would ride at the house, you know, as much as I could talk him into it. Wouldn't let me race. He fell over one day, and I ran him over. And the next Wednesday, I got to race at the fairground. <laughs> uh, and I, I think I actually am exaggerating. I think I got to race there four or five times that year. And then they shut the fairgrounds down. And there was absolutely no flat tracking in Virginia once they shut that that uh, Wednesday night. So, um, you know, y'all's home tracks ended up becoming my home tracks. We jumped in the van every weekend and traveled a minimum of two and a half hours and, you know, maximum of eight hours and uh, raced in Pennsylvania, uh, Maryland. That became my home uh, home racing up there, and that's where I cut my teeth, and that's how I built speed i guess you could say <laughs> yeah i didn't realize that i mean i guess virginia was just as bad as new jersey uh you know i had yeah. to do the same i had to travel to trailways and it was like i said it was a minimum two and a half two and a half to four hours you know to, to go to the local track but i do remember seeing uh man what'd you guys have you had some old red van <laughs> and then you had some box on top of it with a bunch of junk jammed into that What'd you... We had the Dodge Lodge. Oh, that was Eads, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We had the Dodge Lodge, and and we went to the junkyard, and we got the top off of a, a old Sam's motorhome, and it it basically looked like an oversized John boat, and we <laughs> solved all the pop out of our race van and put that boat on top of it, and uh, we went we went racing in the Dodge Lodge with a it, it was as tall as it was long. <laughs> I think everybody growing up had some sort of shitty race vehicle. <laughs> uh, that's just how it is when you go flat track. And man, it was it was no hacker. It was no big Ron mobile though. Nobody had one of those. No, nobody had one like that. Let's move up on your career a little. You uh, you know, you weren't a from what I kind of read up on, you weren't a major standout as an amateur rider. You know, you kind of started peaking at the right time, which is when you started, you know, racing professional. Let's talk a bit about your decision to go pro. Uh, the guys you had to race with coming up through as a professional when you turned rookie. And uh, let's talk about your transition from, you know, days in District 6 as an amateur going to the pro ranks and how that was. Well, you're, you're correct. I didn't have an amateur, a standout amateur career. Um, you know, we were kind of on a shoestring budget and ran stock motorcycles. And then, you know, we got a little bit older and decided I wanted to try to go Pro-Am is what we called it then. Georgie Price actually had a major to-do with why I wanted to turn Pro-Am. He kept saying, man, you, you should go Pro-Am and try it. You know, I think you'll do good. He even bought me my first set of plates, my Pro-Am plates. And we kind of went into the winter, got two bikes together, and uh, went down to Daytona, Jacksonville, Florida, Daytona, all that first round in the beginning just to see what would happen and didn't really know what would happen i knew i didn't have to race kenny coolbath so i thought that would be a a plus because he wasn't old enough to turn so uh we went down there and had a really good uh really good daytona and it actually boosted my confidence and and i started riding better and um i was on schedule to win the championship as a pro-am and uh ended up doing a uh a signature hacker move, uh, low side in the last corner, last lap, 
uh, in a half mile race in um, Indiana and ended up breaking my femur. And in the process of that, they uh, they they added one more race to the regional series, and I ended up losing the championships to the championship to Chuck Buchanan, or, uh, uh, Chuck Buchanan, who lived in Pennsylvania there. And uh, I just kind of after that, I just they took away the junior class. And, you know, we had to go straight expert. So I kind of went from a broken leg right to expert and really just beat myself, beat my head against the wall for a good little period of time there. Um, and just kept riding, just kept, you know, was persistently trying to to ride as much as I could and still kept my goal focused on, you know, hoping that one day I could ride a 750. Yeah, thinking uh, it's funny. <laughs> We talked about it the other night. Um, you know, Georgie Price w- was the guy that that kind of pushed you to to turn pro, and it's kind of funny. You know, you're ten years older than me, so you know, ten years later, you know, like Joe or uh, Georgie was, uh, you know, kind of my mentor at the time. You know, when I was kind of at the brink of amateur to pro, and you know, kind of kind of fast forwarding a little bit. We're kind of skipping around a little bit, but kind of had a funny story. I mean, a few years later, you and Georgie end up teammates at Maroney's riding 883s obviously he was uh somebody that helped you kind of kind of make that transition and then all of a sudden you guys are teammates rivals and you know things kind of kind of went a little south there for a minute right (laughs) yeah you know competition brings tension (laughs) (laughs) we were living together traveling together eating together sitting in a laundromat together I ended up, you know, building a little, getting a little bit faster. So, like I said, competition builds tension, and that's one of the best races I've ever had. Though was him and I racing at I-96 that night. So we had had this little spat, you know, that we had done, and I decided I was going to put a those little peon stick where you would have the guy with his back to you, and he was peeing on something, and then I put a 71 on underneath what he was peeing on, and put it on my box truck. <laughs> so that didn't go over too well in in uh in staging as we were staging and going to the pit area and, and Georgie was mad. I thought he was gonna beat me up. And um <laughs> He's a lot we bigger than you. I was for sure I was gonna take a dirt nap, you know. Uh I thought he was gonna beat me up for real. So we went out there and and, and raced each other. You know, Georgie we nicknamed him the Buick and you know, I was at that time I was five foot five, hundred and twenty five pounds soaking wet. And uh, him and I went to battle in a semi, like, still to this day, I can remember each lap, each time we ran into each other in uh, each part. It was one of the best races in the world. But that was, we we, uh, we patched everything up after that day, and we were just acting like young punks. But, man, it, it definitely brought out a really good race in us. Yeah, I mean, you were you were a solid competitor on the 883s, and those things sucked a ride. I mean, you'd low side that bike, and it would freaking break in half. Um but you were you won done the it. champion you yeah Jake done it yeah, it's on TV all the time, uh, but you were the 1995 883 champion. You had a lot of wins. You raced with some really good guys. You know Georgie going back, um, Jason Fletcher. You raced Springer. Willie McCoy Springer. You raced some really good guys on the 883. Talk about them days a little bit before we get into your expert 750 days talk about the 883 i see sometimes on social media guys are like let's bring back the 883 class and i'm like no let's not do that um coming from a guy that won the series what are your thoughts on the 883s and uh, and talk about the competition in that class a little bit so until jared won i was the youngest 883 champion 
And none of you guys know what it was like to ride them with stock wheel sizes. You guys got to run them with 19s and, and better suspension, you know, put some uh, Weiss triple clamps. We had to run them with stock triples, stock forks, stock 19-inch uh, skinny front wheel with the, the big 16-inch slick-looking tire. Yeah, and, and both straightaways were uphill. Yeah. Barefoot. Yeah. I never rode one. I, I would have retired. I didn't have a jacket. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they were, uh, in some ways, they were ho- horrible. And in some ways, you would, it just blew your mind uh, about them. You know, they, they really taught me how to draft. I learned how to draft off of, one, uh, off of racing those motorcycles because everybody's riding the same bike. And unless Pat Maroney could figure out how to throw, you know, an extra base gasket in it or do something to get you an extra three horsepower, you were all going the same speed. Uh, so those bikes taught you a lot. The front ends would push a lot. And um, it taught me where my body weight should be because when my body weight was forward in the front end push, I typically scraped my face on the ground. Um, so those bikes taught me a lot. Uh, they were pretty sketchy, pretty uh, pretty scary at times. But um I liked racing them the most on cushion because they were so heavy that they felt they felt like they handled better than my funny this is gonna sound crazy to some people, but it felt like it handled better than my XR on cushion. Well yeah, I mean one of them things you can't you can't hook a rut in those things. It's like riding a tugboat, you know. Like those things would put off a wake, you know. You could wakeboard at Lima off off the back of a uh eight eighty three, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean heavy. Yeah, it's it's funny. I mean, obviously, I'm. Uh, everybody says I have no feelings. I just like that's what we had to grow up. Like we didn't have, you know. I, I mean, I know they're nowadays they're trying to make it an easier stepping stone into the super twins or whatever it is. I, obviously, that's not the case. But you know, like when I was coming up, same with you. We didn't have 450s at the nationals then you know, production twins and you rode a shittier bike. Yeah. Like start off. that was the stepping stone was coming off of a, a Rotex and getting on an 883. It's crazy. And you want to talk about scary at Springfield mile. Everybody thinks it's scary to watch a bunch of four fifties go around. You look at 14, eight, eight threes in the lead pack. And the only thing you can do is stuff each other, or cut each other off or, do something i mean you you want to talk about scary that was that was scary and they were known to blow up on a regular basis so that was even scarier it is a harley <laughs> it is harley <laughs> well let's uh let's transition a bit from your 883 days you know obviously you, you were a solid competitor on that bike you won a championship won a lot of races you moved up to the 750 talk about that transition going up to the premier level bike i guess you could say um, and then we'll get into some of your accomplishments on the on the 750 class and who you had to race with when you were uh, at, at your prime, I guess we could say. So uh, the only way that I could get a 750, Pat Maroney bribed me and said the only way I'll give you a 750 is you got to ride 883. So he, you know, he gave me an 883 or a, a 750 ride, which is you know I had only rode one a uh, couple times the year before, rode a Honda a little bit. So it was it was pretty awesome to be able to to uh, jump on the 750 and and be able to run with the big guys. Um, I really loved the miles. They were just uh, when I when I first felt like I 
had landed because you know remember i wasn't that good as an amateur i did some good stuff on a on a pro-am level broke my leg struggled a little bit you know kept just kept digging and i I never really felt like i was a kenny coolbath or jake johnson or these guys so uh when i first realized that i possibly might had some future in the thing is uh, we went to the 1995 springfield mile and Pat had built me a brand new 750 that year. That was part of the deal. But we didn't send our heads off to all the big guys. They did the head right there and had Maroney's at the shop. And I was making right at about 11 horsepower less than Jason Fletcher's uh, <laughs> XR that, that we were going to the races with. So, of course, you know, with the dyno, everybody psychs themselves out. And when we went to Springfield, I actually sat on the pole that day because I never had to shut the gas off because it was so slow. And uh, I ended up running in the top i think i got fifth it was the first time that i'd ever ran in the lead pack you know had all my heroes like uh, chris and scott and and me and uh rodney rodney was a big supporter of mine as an amateur so i got to race my hero there in that race and that was kind of like the first day where i thought man i guess maybe i can do this like i could possibly be something someday in flat tracking and not just kind of tinker around with it from that race on the confidence just started building really that year yeah i mean you know that was a big time i mean like when did you you're probably i mean you're a modest guy so you're probably gonna say oh i sucked and this and that but like what was the moment that you were like man i'm here i made it i can win these things i can i can run with these guys i can do it was there a specific moment race time when that kind of hit your brain and and realized like i'm meant to be here and i can do this so i went through a couple up and down years and then and then really i would say the 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 race that i actually in my head thought okay i might be able to you know even though i wasn't born with a throttle in my hand i could maybe be a champion and i can win grand nationals uh was in kansas riding for johnny goad in 99 um you know johnny had basically uh rebuilt me kind of broke me down all the all the bad habits all the basics and then started rebuilding me and we went to that race and it was me kenny and will and uh, before that, I hadn't done anything to speak of riding with Johnny, and I, you know, I had my normal regular hiccup years. And uh, that that day, I ran them guys down. And when I got to them, I was so much faster than them. But I could not believe that I had done what I just did. That I basically rode around behind Kenny, and we finished third. But that day is when I went, man, I can win. I can win one of these things, and I could go fast because I was walking all over top of them, but just you know, I just, it just freaked me out that I did what I did. And from, from that year, you know, from that race, I ended up going on to win my first national, uh, and then just started building speed from that point on. And then of course, unfortunately, everybody knows of my career. When you're not that good, you tend to crash every once in a while. So from that point forward, you know, I still injuries just kept striking me every year because I would stick my neck out a little bit too far at times. But that that was the race that I knew I could be a professional flat tracker. Well, it's it's actually crazy that the um, you describing getting the race with your heroes and you get up to them, you're faster, but you're like, man, what am I doing here? Because I was the same way. I mean, it kind of hurts that I grew up in the sport since I was a baby watching Chris Carr and watching them guys. Cause then when it was time for me to go pro, you know, those guys are my heroes growing up. You know, I didn't idolize anybody, but flat track racers. So it's hard to beat your idols. Even if, even when you are faster, because you're like, in your eyes, those guys are legends. So 
it's um it's a tough deal to transition a bit from the amateurs to the pro ranks. You got to kind of have that. You got to kind of be a little bit of an ego. You got to be like, man, I can beat these guys. They ain't shit. But it's tough. It's really tough. And you were able to win four nationals: Charlotte, Claremore, DeCoin, and Parkersburg is the ones we have listed here. Um, and you mentioned you rode for Johnny Goad, and Johnny Goad is a legendary Southern draw. We were talking about him a little bit earlier. Tuner, the guy tells it how it is. Talk a little bit about Johnny Goad, and what's the one thing people that li- that are listening that they wouldn't know about Johnny? Well, Johnny, Johnny would say you don't know the the you don't know. <laughs> so, yeah. So this is the, this is the one thing that people don't know about Johnny Goad. His arms, his wingspan is longer than he is tall. Jake almost spins beer out. Jake almost spins beer out. He he picked up, and the reason why I know this is because we measured it, and he picked up an uh, an XR750 by sticking one arm underneath the front of the neck and the other arm under the tail section. So he's strong. Yeah, and that's when I realized that his wingspan is actually longer than he is tall. Did you ever see his scars on his knuckles? Nah. No, I haven't. From dragging the ground? I mean, yeah. (laughs) Because they were so long. That is a true story, though. When I rode for Johnny, he brings the best out of anybody who who rides for Johnny, whether your best is 10th or your best is first. You know, obviously, he's, he's proven that. He's had so many first-time winners. But Johnny, I think he's a little softer now than what he used to be. Uh, I noticed in the latter part of Jared riding for him, he would soften up a little bit. But when I was riding for him, you did what you were supposed to, or he'd let you know. We were at Springfield Mile one time, and me and Johnny Murphy and everybody were going at it. And uh, in the one heat race, I let I let them got I let somebody in front of me, and I came in. I was all pumped up. I think I transferred, and he looked at me and he said, "Boy, this ain't the lunch line. You don't let nobody in line." <laughs> he says, "You let somebody in line like that again, and I'm gonna tell you right now, you're gonna regret it." So. I went, <laughs> This ain't the lunch line, boy. So I went into that main event, and and I said, Johnny. Well, first, then I said, Johnny, if 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 I bump somebody, then they're gonna try to beat me up. He said, You don't worry about what happens in the pit area. I take care of that. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, so I, we went out to the main event, and and I didn't let Johnny Murphy in, and Murph was mad at me, and I I said, Johnny. When when I come into the pit area, I got a. Uh, I told Johnny Murphy this. When I come in the pit area, I got this angry old gorilla over there that I got to answer to. So if I let you in line and he and uh, he gets after me, what am I going to do? So that was that was the funny things about Johnny is that he was serious, but he didn't uh, he didn't want you to do anything to hurt nobody. But um, he didn't have time for you to let people in on the lunch line. Yeah, sorry, Murph. I got a I got a bigger Johnny to deal with over here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was kind of funny, but you know Johnny uh, Johnny Johnny taught me a lot, and I didn't even realize what Johnny was teaching me at at sometimes because you know he's he's the type of guy that sometimes he makes you so mad that you wished that you were at least five foot nine and two hundred fifty pounds and you could just well you probably have to be bigger than that you probably have to be about six foot eight and and 600 pounds of thumping but he'd make you mad and then other times he would do stuff for you that you couldn't believe how humbled and how you know caring he was but he taught me how to tune he taught me the psychology of of uh racing and 
I would have uh, never been able to do what I did with um, Jake uh, those two years, and then later on Kenny and Brad. I learned a lot of my setup and a lot of my track reading from Johnny Goad. Yeah, no, he's he's a legend. For those that don't know, Johnny was the tuner for Ricky Graham in the 1993 series when he won a record 12 races, six in a row, and won the championship. So I'm sure you've got to hear a lot of Ricky Graham stories throughout the years from Johnny Goad, and um, I'm sure those are pretty epic as well. Yeah, Ricky, Ricky didn't have no problem going around there like that. <laughs> he said, I can't get through the corner. Ricky didn't have no problem getting through the corner. <laughs> and it's not even fair to compare yourself to Ricky Graham in 1993 because he was a cheat code. I mean, he he literally whooped up on some of the greatest to ever do it: Chris Carr, Scott Parker, Moorhead, Ronnie Jones, Rodney. I mean, he he whooped their asses. So, um, yeah, comparing you to comparing anybody to Ricky in '93 is a is a is a big job. Um, well, when he got. When you got Johnny Goad breathing down your neck, yeah, and you better win. this is like your, you know, one of your last chances. No, I'm not taking anything away from Ricky Graham, but <laughs> you better win. Johnny, Johnny will motivate you. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Well, yeah, let's. I mean, Jake, you you were um, you rode for Johnny, and then later later down the road, Hacker was uh, was tuning for you and your rider coach, and and Hacker, you worked with you worked. You know, let's let's talk a little bit about your um. You know, you 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 had some injuries. You gave up racing, and you started being like a rider coach, a tuner for. You mentioned them, but you know, Jake Johnson, you know, Kenny Kenny Coolbeth, Brad Baker, Matt Weedman. Talk a little bit about each one of those briefly, and what it was like working with some of those guys, and how they were different from one another. Well, so I decided to do that because I I wasn't sure if I wanted to quit racing. I knew I didn't want to get away from racing, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to keep riding or or what I wanted to do, but I knew I needed to take a break because I was tired, tired of getting hurt. So we went racing with Matt Weidman, and I realized, uh, Matt Matt helped me realize that I actually enjoyed helping other people. You, you end up getting all this information, and unfortunately, just from human nature, you end up taking it for granted. And I didn't realize how much information that I had that people didn't, didn't know. So I got to... We got rookie of the year that year. Um, Matt Matt kind of made his place on the on the circuit and kind of showed everybody he could do it. But I found out that just like tuning, tuning was just like riding. You you could have a great year, everything was cool, and you think everything was great, and then you could get fired. So uh, they fired me that winter uh, <laughs> and ended up going to work with another with uh, Donnie Cameron. And I was you know once again I was kind of out of a out of a deal. And then we ended up going racing with uh, with Jake. Um, Jake Jake was in a weird transition with, uh, or he was in a weird spot with Suzuki. Was kind of pulling their. You can correct me, Jake, if I'm wrong, but pulling some of their support. Uh, the team was kind of, you know, dwelling away a little bit. And I had seen a, you know, I'd known Jake since he came on the circuit with the Maronis. You know, always was amazed by Jake's talent and uh, just his ability to ride and. and just a just a good guy to be around so i had found an opportunity to possibly you know back what i would say back on harley so i just kept thinking man if we get this guy back on xrs and off these suzukis it's gonna be it's gonna be a he's gonna be a spoiler so we got to do that the first year with johnny uh i ran the 450 program johnny did this, the big bike program and then the next year with zanotti and uh you know when you 
you guys are going to find out one day uh, when you quit racing, it's like the hardest thing you're ever going to do because you've been doing it your whole life, you know. I'm on the verge of it right now. <laughs> and I hope that I hope we can make that not happen. But it's <laughs> tough. It, it's such a it's so mentally drain or, or dreaming and such a mentally challenging thing to do. And I've done some hard stuff. And, you know, I tell everybody this, and Jake always laughs and jokes on me like he does, but Jake saved my life, you know, and uh, I was I could have easily went into a very different route because I was mad because I couldn't race. My shoulder was messed up, you know, bumming out. What am I going to do with, you know, I, I still needed that racing. And Jake, Jake got me through, those two years with Jake got me through the whole stopping racing and Man, it was the best times of my life. Uh, you know, when Jake would win, it would feel like uh, it would feel just as good to me as if when I raced and won. And uh, we had a killer two years just watching him. Uh, as good as Jake is, Jake's not always been the most confident person. And then those those two years watching him uh, mature and get confident and. I could mess the motorcycle up and I, and I knew I was messing the motorcycle up, but I wanted to try to find something and he could go out and win on the motorcycle after I'd messed it up, which would just blow my mind. So for, for a mechanic or for a tuner, when you have somebody who can ride like that, then you're not, you're not scared to take a tooth off or lower the front end a quarter or do something because you always know they're going to make up for it. And then that allows you to grow and to get better at what you're doing. We had it dialed those, uh, those couple of years. Um, obviously we've been, we don't know what we're doing here lately, but, but yeah, like, I just wanted to, to chime in. Like, obviously like we did that deal in 09 talking about, uh, yeah, like you yeah. mentioned about Suzuki and that whole deal. Well, I thought everything was great kind of playing out the scenario here. Yeah. So 08, finished shit it was the, it was the best year i had on the twin i think i had three podiums on the twin won the singles championship that year and it was like you know i was actually at the bank you know depositing you know my championship bonus you know singles championship bonus from suzuki when when pat alexander called me and was like hey man it's done you know like obviously like 08 right at that time obviously the uh economy all that deal and Suzuki wasn't doing well, so it was like... So you won a championship, and then that year, they said, we're done. Yeah, Suzuki pulled the plug. That's kind of... That's how racing is sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it's... it it They don't they don't care how good you do it. You can win a championship, and every offseason, you're, you're... It's pretty much back to square one, unless you have two-year deals, which are pretty rare in flat track, but every year, you're like, it don't matter how great you are, it's like, man, I gotta find money to go racing again, and... And you're in the same predicament now. I mean, you're a two-time singles champ, two-time tw- overall twins champ, and and you're back to the drawing board. So it's it's not all sunshine and rainbows as a flat track racer. You know, it's every year you're back to square one trying to put together a program to uh, to do it. So it's tough. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so that happens. And obviously, like, Dave Burks was running the program at the time, and uh, Travis Smith was my mechanic at the time, and... We're like, ah, I mean, let's let's keep this thing rolling. Let's do it. You know, Dave was Dave was willing to keep the truck going up and down the road, and you know, we had the bikes, we had the stuff. So we went to Daytona, and you know, had a I think it was the first year at Daytona for the stock frame rule. Okay. Yep. Um, oh nine. Yeah. So it was that was right when DMG took over. Right. So they went to the stock frame deal. We went to Daytona and 
had a you know after winning what four four times or something on the on the framer there like went to daytona on a stock framer and i was out to lunch right hacker i think calls me after that and you know we kind of talked a little bit uh that time he was you know mike was you were pretty much done racing um at that time you were working with matt or, or just got done working with matt and yeah so you know then oh yeah a weasel that's what yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The weasel, I was calling, trying to get you. Yeah, he came in and stole me. So anyway, you know, Daytona didn't go well. Our, you know, we didn't have much of a budget. Long story short, go ride for Johnny, do that year, win two races. You know, coulda, shoulda, woulda, right? So 2010 rolls around, get the deal with Zanotti, and like Mike wasn't kind of originally wasn't part of the program. It was just like, hey man, I, no, I didn't fire you <laughs> yeah we're, we're gonna get to that here in a minute um we're, we're gonna bring out the shit here in a minute so this might be a three-hour episode so, so 2010 rolls around you know i'm kind of going to a new team i don't know what's going on so i guess it, it's one of my faults i'm always kind of a modest quiet guy you know it's like going to a new team it's like well what am i going to demand that i they pay Mike a salary. Like, obviously, as my buddy, I would love that to happen. But, you know, so anyway, so we go to Daytona. First year with Zanotti. Honestly, like, sh- like shit is not good. Like, I'm at uh, Barberville. Obviously, that track's not that great. But, like, I am like, what is going on? Like, after three or four years on a Suzuki, then the year with Johnny, like, man, doesn't matter what what XR I'm on. It should be great compared to that Suzuki, right? Things were just bad. We're just bad. And I called Mike and like begged him. And he was at like a rough part in his life. You know, I think uh, you just had Riley, your first daughter, right? Yeah. Around that time and was kind of unemployed. Yeah, Tina was pregnant with her second. Like, so it was it was a bad case scenario for Mike Hacker at the time. And I'm being a little selfish asshole, needing Mike's help because I want to race motorcycles, right? So we're at Barberville, and sure enough, you know, I, I call Mike, and he is there the the day before Daytona Short Track. I think it was the first first year at the the new track at the stadium, or not at the stadium, at the Speedway, right? Um, after the yep. stadium, and. Mike's there. We we had an open test a day or two before, and the rest nine, is history. Nine know? years ago, and you guys are still working together. So that, that says a lot about you guys, honestly, and that's pretty cool. And it says a lot about Hacker and his ability to take take somebody and kind of fine-tune a rider and and uh, lead them to championships. Um, uh, I mean, that, that's pretty awesome. And, Mike, I want to transition a bit. You were around the sport since the early 90s to today, you know, and there's a lot of things going around on social media about – how the sport needs to go back to this era or what they need to do to to improve what's going on right now. What's your opinion on where flat track is today from a guy that raced in the old era and the guy that is around right now? What what What's your opinion on where we're at heading into 2020 and what do you think they can do better? Well, how long is the show? <laughs> as long as you want. <laughs> I mean, here, here's the way, here's how I, I, how I see what's going on like it or don't like it i don't agree with everything they're doing i don't disagree with everything they're doing but what i've seen we used to always say that the sport uh was dying and oh it's so tough and oh my goodness we gotta have two twenty thousand dollar harley davises just to race <laughs> well now you gotta have two fifty thousand dollar indians to race 
um, and you and you got to buy in. So when I think of it that way, I go, I don't know. I don't know where it is. What it, what it is is it's costing people a lot more money than what it used to. And the Indian, to me, has turned into the modern-day XR750. The only difference is, is that Harley-Davidson, uh, you know, dump $5 million a year, $15 million a year, you know, at times in the flat track. I don't know that, that Indians invested in uh, in that uh, into the sport that that far yet. So, but what I see has happened is that Michael Locke came in, he established control uh, with number plate rules and exhaust, you know, uh, sound rules. And he kind of came in, you know, our sport had kind of gotten to where if you wind enough or kind of pushed on the right person, you kind of get what you wanted. So he's established control. He's broke it down to its bare bones. It's, it's, He's ran out, quote unquote, what he calls the hobbyist. He's ran out the hobbyist, and now he's looking to rebuild the series, the 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 sport of flat track with, you know, what I would say is business partners because he's trying to, you know, you're going to buy in, you're going to invest into it, you're going to commit to every race, and so then you become business partners, you know, instead of um, the normal deal. So. In this time, I think we're going to go through a little bit of rough time because we've almost ran out, you know, all the hobbyists, as you would say. Well, they're, they're all hobbyists. I mean, other than Harley and Indian, we have a, a roofer, an ex-trucker, and a guy that makes foam. And that's that's what's what's carrying the sport, right? Just pe- enthusiasts. Yeah, look at it that way, you're... Enthusiasts. Because, yeah. I mean, they, they're... Yeah, I mean, I, obviously I they're in, they're invested, but they could get a sore ass and right. tomorrow say screw this. Yep, and they're I just mean, enthusiasts. They're former racers that just they did well in their career, and they and they then those guys you just mentioned they're a huge part of what what makes the sport go round. And yeah, I mean it's it's a crazy transition. It's a crazy era right now. I mean, I think we are moving in a in a good direction when we had. I'd say four, three, four years ago, and we had the ability to build a ten thousand dollar, fifteen thousand dollar Kawasaki, be competitive, you know, build a Yamaha and be competitive, and then in the end, you know, they stepped up with a phenomenal motorcycle that costs fifty grand, and and you need one to compete in the, at the highest level. I mean, it's we saw what Crosley did last year. You know, their their Kawasaki was heavily funded. Wah, wah. And they and they weren't able to to do anything with the Indians. So, yeah, we're in a we're in a very very tough spot right now. It'll be interesting to see. I wouldn't I wouldn't know what to predict from five years from now. But it's it's I a tough a era. What's your prediction, Mike? I think uh, I think our I think our sport, the production class is going to become the premier class. There's going to be two premier classes, and that's 450s, and that's production because you can have multiple winners. Uh, you know, multiple brand winning, or, I mean, here, here's the deal. Like you said, we're po- right now, our support is propped up by two millionaires and two manufacturers, you know, manufacturers with a made for TV battle. Cause you know, remember it all started with the made for TV show and then all this battle started. So like you said, uh, all, all Jerry or Tim has to do is get a chapped ass and roll out of here and we're going to be in trouble or, or one of the manufacturers would, we only have five, you know, key people keeping it alive. I'm afraid that if, if we don't get some more help, it has a good chance of changing the way it is altogether, meaning 
uh, one of those guys leaves, one of those factories leaves, I think it's gonna it's gonna break us all the way back down to the bottom. We're gonna have to start slam over, and it's liable it's liable to be rough for a lot of years. Well, you mentioned the production class is growing. You mentioned the singles class. You know, it's kind of funny because in the production class, you had you had Essenson who has a heavily funded team. You have Harley Davidson who has a hev- heavily funded team, and you know I was able to kind of compete with those guys out of the back of a van with a father and a son team that builds bikes in their garages. Same with the singles. You have, you know, Factory KTM. You had the Richie Morris Honda team. You had Robbie Bobby and Dalton win the damn thing in a Husqvarna that they built in their shop. You know, see, the singles in the production, the the champions were very small funded teams up against million-dollar budgets. You don't see that in Super Twins with the Indians. You know, the guys winning and that are top three in that class are fully funded factory teams. And the days of a privateer competing at the top level, at the premier Super Twins level, it's just I don't see it happening. It's just uh, it's just a different era. It's became you know I joke with Jake and said it's democratic uh, flat track, and um, <laughs> there's one brand that's dominant. They'll come plug into your motorcycle, <laughs> and they'll give you the hot setup, and uh, and uh, and get some data from you also. And imagine it just uh, rewind 15, 20 years ago. You think Johnny Goad, Skip Eakin, Bill Warner, Rick Gnode, like all those guys, those top tuners back then, you think they would let one guy walk around plugging their motorcycle every weekend and be like, hey, dude, you're good, man. She's running great. <laughs> that's, why, that's why all those guys had mismatched sprockets. Oh, yeah, I got a 48, but it's really a 45. The, yeah. Right. They yeah. wouldn't even tell you what road they took to the racetrack, much less <laughs> you plug in there. Yeah, or what gas station they got diesel in the truck, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of crazy how all that – and, you know, hats off to Indian. I'm not bashing Indian. I mean, amazing motorcycle. Hats off to Jared Mees and Kenny Tolbert. You know, obviously, we all know enough about flat tracking to know that – Kenny Tolbert and Jared Meese had a big to-do with that motorcycle coming out swinging like it did. It's great what it did. Unfortunately, uh, it took away what everybody has been saying for 10 years. We need to have multiple brands. We need to have multiple winners uh, on different brands, and that's what's going to make our sport grow. Buy it on, you know, race it on uh, Saturday, buy it on Monday. Well, everybody else headed in that direction, but the memo got changed on that one you know yeah uh, yeah we could go on we could go on for hours about that uh we're gonna great from the outside but i do i mean just so everybody i do feel like we are still walking on eggshells as the as you know the progression of the sport i get you got a two-time grand national champion who is a is a really good rider and we're trying to put together a program here and it's tough, you know? Yeah. My only deal is a podcast right now. That's our retirement. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Retirement plan. Yep. I mean, if you look at it in that, in that aspect, you know, guy would have won a race last year, had not DNF 10 feet from the line has won a race championships, won a race every year, a championship, you know, bad fast. And, and, uh, and you know, he's not the only one having a hard time put, putting together a program. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. We, we, we talked about it, uh, with, with the Lynch podcast, we're going to have to have, uh, we're gonna have to have to have a Mike hacker 2.0. Obviously we'll, we'll have to see where the, where the Johnson hacker saga, what do you call that? Oh, like, a dynasty dynasty. Yeah. We'll have to see where that, where, 
Patrick Johnson dynasty. Bill Belichick, Tom Brady goes in 2020. It's it's there's a lot of question marks right now. We'll have to have you back and and see where that goes. Um, we still have more. We have a a little. No, we're not kicking you off. We're probably we kind st- of shit. Kind the of. way you talk, we still probably got another hour uh, with what we got going here. But no, th- this is good stuff. This is good stuff. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to touch back on this honestly. But what was formerly known as the this or that segment, we have a what do you call it, Corey? High uh, line, low line. High line, low line. Yeah, I yeah, we're we, working on it. We still don't have a name for the podcast, so we're still track working analogy for analogy type yeah, deal. We're gonna name call for it segments the high line or low line. Where we're gonna ask you kind of like two different answers. Give us what you think off the tip of your tongue, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. And a brief description. A little, on, little explanation. Yeah, a little explanation on each one. So we're gonna get right into it. Clay or cushion tracks? Clay all day, baby. <laughs> I, need to, I guess I'm looking at your wins here, and all of them were clay tracks. So well, no, Claremore. That was a cushion. <laughs> that yeah, was Claremore a cushion. Cushion, cushion mile. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's in your younger get nasty days. A little cushion yeah, crazy, yeah. dude. Real fast, talk about the 1200 super tracker that you rode for my dad, the fire breathing dragon, and talk about the the Lima the Lima race when you rode that thing, dude. The Lima the Lima trophy. He's in a in a different house now, but he had that Lima <laughs> super tracker trophy hanging right next to the front door for a long for for. As long as I've known him when he was in that house. Well, he's a clay rider. And like, right a, next to his keys, where, he, like, he would go out of the house Everybody every day. Everybody thought I won Lima. Yeah. Uh, dude, I thought he won Lima. And I'm like, no way, dude. <laughs> but it was, like, Lima, oh, super, yeah, tra- it was Lima super Tracker, but it was, like, right next to the door. He saw it every day when I Talk about that bike quick, and then we'll keep going. Okay. So it wasn't a fire-breathing dragon. That thing was a mean horse. We nicknamed it Ferdinand, which was after this bad, fast racing horse. Um, that's by far the fastest motorcycle or fastest flat tracker, um, that I've ever rode in my life. I used to have to put my foot under the brake to hang on to that sucker. Well, that's like one Claremore. We'll get to that later, but Hey, (laughs) and, uh, that Lima race, you know, I was, uh, it's funny. I was three quarters of a second faster on Ferdinand than I was on my XR at that race that night. I love that story. Tell me about the brake pedal thing. Cause that was actually the, a motorcycle that my dad, and my grandpa built at the Harley shop and, uh, and you did real well on it. So no, I, I just wanted to touch upon that. I forgot to, forgot to mention that, but that leads us into our next one. We have, uh, XR 750, RS 750 or an FTR. What would you pick? XR750 is the best flash I could ever build, man. There you go. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, you've never ridden an FTR. RS was always my dream bike. Uh, yeah, it's that's a tough question. I hated the FTR. Yeah, that's a tough question. But like yeah, it. stats, XR's, XR is, is, has been the best. I rode a Honda. I made I made Indy Mile on a Honda with Johnny Go. Oh, they, yeah. They were cool. Yeah, you have the yeah, you have the special Johnny or the special Ricky Crank, and yeah, I, I you know, I took the heads off that thing, you know, I figured a couple more bolts, I had to crank out of it, you know, I took that thing apart this week, you know, I put it back together, this thing brand new, you you should go out there and win Indy Ma, Ricky would, Ricky would. I got to tell you a funny story about that. I know you guys are trying to <laughs> rush me along. I made that national that night. Johnny Goad actually was happy with me. Halfway through that race, I had, like, Rich King, all these guys in there. That was my first mile national. And the pin came out of the throttle. 
You know, the <laughs> throttle stopped spinning, so the throttle wouldn't spin. So I just kept twisting that thing so much until it finally stuck wide open. And we come down the back straightaway, and there was five guys in front of me, and I did a quadruple, quadruple, whatever you call it, draft, and drafted that sucker into the lead and named that Grand National. And it was, and the, when I came in the pitch, Johnny said, oh, naughty, what'd you do to the throttle cables? And that things were twisted all the way around the handlebars. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, let's keep uh, keep her going here. I, I know you're not a big short track guy, but Daytona or Springfield short track? Uh, Daytona for sure. Okay. What about Springfield or DeCoin Mile? Oh, you've won the coin, but Springfield's pretty special. No, but the coin was, uh, the coin's it. I mean, to be able to run that thing, you go around the coin and never shut the gas off under race conditions. You know, you can do it at Springfield as well earlier in the day, but the coin, when we would run the high line, all you'd have to do is stomp the brake and you never let that sucker breathe. Talk about a rush. I'd say the coin. Yeah, I remember my rookie year there. I thought I wasn't shutting off, and I had Springer go around the outside of me and never shut off and pass me. And yeah. figured I should probably quit. But <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, good thing I didn't. Um, next, we'll go on to the next one. Uh, now we're kind of getting into some rider tuners, some different stuff. So I know, I know this one's going to be a, a really tough question for you. Ricky Graham or Bubba Schobert? I know, I know your, uh, Johnny was, I mean, you know, Ricky was a hero of yours. You're number 67. That was Schobert. You know, they're both heroes. Pick one. I, I wasn't able, uh, I never got to spend any time with Bubba, but I did get to spend time with Ricky. And so Ricky, Ricky was bad fast, but also I was, a, I was an 18 year old little punk and, you know, sleeping up in the hills at his farm in Salinas why he was, you know, teaching me the importance of using the front. And so he was investing in, into the people. So I, I got to say, Ricky, he, he, he spent some time on me. Bubba was awesome, but Rick, Ricky, uh, Ricky was, you know, like to give back. So I, I like that. Let's go more modern. Jared Meese or Brian Smith? Um, Jared Meese all day. I, I've always been jealous of Brian Smith. <laughs> <laughs> For his mile wins or... We'll just leave it at that. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Well, I have this question in mind. It's not on the list right here, but I'm going to throw it at you. Throw um, just because it's something different. Because I know you rode for both. It's not a really fair question. It's kind of like the Graham Schobert question. Johnny Goad or Skip Egan? Mm. Man, Johnny's going to be pissed if you answer any other way. I can't afford to get my teeth knocked out, so I got to say Johnny Goad. <laughs> I like it. I like it. You got a lot of history with him. No, that's cool. Um, yeah, Johnny Goad. 883 or Super Tracker? Oh, Super Tracker all, all day. Ferdi- Super- if it's Ferdinand. Oh, Ferdinand. Yeah, yeah. That's that wasn't even a fair question. 883s are shit. Um <laughs> I guess Rotex, XR, whatever it is, CNJ or GNM? Oh, I don't know. You know, I'm, I, I, uh, oh boy. I know you have probably different, uh, some different opinions as a rider and a tuner, 
I think you probably had success on one as a rider and success on another as a tuner. So that's probably probably a pretty tough question. Well, if, if we're going off of uh, the whole package, it would be it would be. So I've had success on both. Uh, my first twin ever was a J&M uh, Dual Shocker, which was just a phenomenal motorcycle. Um, I would say Mike Owens for. Uh, at J and M racing products, there's only one dude there who uh, welds them, cuts them, uh, machines them, and that's Mike Owens, and that that turns into pretty good quality, you know. I just ordered a J and M, so I'm uh, I'm with you, man. Last one. This is a tough one. Wiles at Peoria or Chris Carr at Peoria? Who you taking in their prime? Chris. Chris Carr. If I jump on them little. Peewee flat, uh, Peewee motocross looking like. <laughs> you talking about that on road with two shocks and two inches of clearance? You tell me. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna chime in on your uh, answer there, but I'll share a little story. My rookie year at, at Peoria, like I thought I was a little badass. You know, I was, I was riding a little bit of motocross. Thought I was cool, right? Walking the track, yeah, whatever. Oh, we gotta hit the jump to the left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So go out first lap. Yeah, I'm going to ride the Rotex, yeah. Chris Carr's riding Rotex? Yeah, I'm going to ride Rotex. So I, I didn't realize like that you had to like start from the right and carve to the left, so I just hit the jump to the left and ended up in the grass on the right, hit some tires over the, almost over the bars, back on the left, and I look back, and Kevin Barnes is about crashed because he's laughing at me so hard. <laughs> So, That's I, I yeah, I've only ridden a Rotax, uh, <laughs> yeah, four laps at Peoria. Oh, you parked it. And right. Yeah, and then I rode the Honda and sucked. And then almost won it the next year, fell down with five laps. was leading it, fell down five laps ago. But I was, I was thinking, like, man, I'm a sissy. I've never ridden a Rotax at Peoria, but yeah, I rode an XG at Peoria. Oh, yeah. Ask. And a Yamaha, and an Indian. The XGs, definitely. So, Rotax of Peoria is pretty gnarly. Right. Well, there's some good answers, man. I appreciate you, Mike, for uh, for coming on the show. I know you're a busy guy. You got two two young young daughters. Christmas is coming up. You, you're uh, busy working. You're you're selling. What do you, what does Mike do? House sell houses? What's he? Doing? Yeah, that that's one thing we got into Paul with a little bit. Um, we both know Paul, obviously, and we both know Paul at his lowest points. And I mean, Paul's doing well. He's got a good, uh, good job, you know, good post-race career. We want to touch on a little bit. Same thing. I mean, you got the same thing going on. Uh, when you were done racing and we got together, I mean, you were selling your sneakers out in front of the pits, right, to for gas money to get home. You were broke. You were selling everything you had from racing just to just to help me, basically, you know. But now you got, you know got a great job uh uh doing mortgages and got a great family you know wife tina you know we've known forever um two great little girls you know it's just one thing we've wanted to touch on a little bit just uh just kind of post racing and um obviously it's been a been a hard thing but uh life is good after racing there there is a light at the end of the tunnel there is life after racing and i and i was one of the people who never thought there was but uh I'm, uh, just to clarify, uh, because Jake and them all have different, uh, uh, jokes on me about what I do. Uh, I don't sell insurance. insurance. <laughs> I am a mortgage loan originator. I'm in the mortgage business. Um, 
luckily for me, I, I had a friend uh, named Scott Whittle who uh, I did some stuff with, met him and his uh, wife in baby class, Lamaz Lamaz or whatever it's called class, when we were uh, pregnant with Riley. And uh, he's he seen something in me and gave me a chance to um, give me a chance to try something different. Now, uh, I do believe that some of it was, uh, I think some of the people at our company were like, okay, yeah, this guy's going to be a motorcycle racer and come do loans. Okay, let's watch this. But there is life after racing. And if it wasn't for racing, I would never be a mortgage loan originator because it's almost just like racing. So uh, when it's good, it's good. And when it's bad, it's bad. And you could be doing good, and then you, and, and you don't close any loans, and you don't get paid for three months, and then you might get paid pretty good for two months. Uh, we start over every month. At the first of the month, you start over. So there's no carryover stuff. Uh, there's no guaranteed. Um, you gotta you got to work hard uh, every day uh, and start over every year and start over every month. But it's been a blessing for me, you know, having two kids. I got 401k, man. How crazy is that? I got 401k and I got uh, uh, insurance for me and my family. That's it's something you take for granted as a flat track racer sometimes. Yeah. It's it's, it's yeah. not easy to come by. When you get into the real world, it's not. Yeah. Well, it's it's cool seeing your journey. It's cool following it. I mean, for me growing up, you riding for my father and and uh, just being a fan of Mike Hacker and seeing where you've come and, and where you're at right now, it's it's really cool, and we appreciate you coming on, sharing some insight. I mean, you're on, you're you've won four nationals. You're an 883 champion. You you've you've been a champion as a rider coach. You're on the AFT advisory board. There's a lot of things you're involved with, and we appreciate you taking some time to uh, share some insight with us. I love the sport. Uh, I want to continue it. I want to go win Daytona with that guy sitting next to you. Uh, if anybody on the circuit would like to get a mortgage uh, quote on a refinance or a purchase, just call me. <laughs> yeah, I, I I referred a couple guys to Hacker and uh, that one of the, you know a couple of my buddies that wanted to buy a house. So we're starting kind Shana of. Shana like, did right. Yeah. Wasn't well, no, nah, that's kind of well. Yeah, that, yeah, she's grandfathered in. So. <laughs> This year, I'm I'm referring some of my buddies that want to buy houses to to Mike, and I told him, hey, put that in the in the Jersey Jake race fund this year. So so we're trying to get uh, you know whatever for lack of a better term, Mike Hacker mortgages to uh to to fund the deal. Fund the team, yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it. I tell you what, this is like raffling a bike. If we can get sixty of you listeners to do a mortgage <laughs> with me, we can yeah, buy house. the Super Twin team. Yes. I love it. Well, listeners, let us let me do the mortgage on your life, and we will we will we will take Jake Johnson to the championship uh, season. Yes, I love it. Well, thanks again, Mike. We're gonna wrap it up, but we appreciate you coming on, and we'll do 2.0, Mike Hacker, another podcast here in the near future. Thanks again, buddy. Thank y'all. Have a great day. Love you, Hack. Love y'all. Hey, Corey. Yes. Good job on your championship. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Proud of you. Thanks, Mike. Mike Hacker, four-time national winner, former 883 champion. Wow, it's quite some knowledge there, Jake. We uh, we heard some things that you didn't want to hear, but you had to hear. And uh, Mike's that Mike's the guy for the for that job. You know, he he did a great job, and it was good to have him on. Discuss some of the changes that have been going on with AFT. I mean, we're not haters of the series. There's a lot of great things going on with the series. You know, the TV coverage is awesome. They're doing a great job. It's just 
there's some things we're trying to fine tune a little bit and try and figure out what works best. And it's good to have people that are invested in the sport like Mike, you know, for decades to get his opinion. Yeah, it's kind of been unfair. Um, the last last well, episode one and two, two of my best friends, like yes. pa- Paul Lynch, I've known forever. Mike, obviously, we kind of heard a little bit of the story. Yep. Um, we're establishing a comfort level for Jay, yeah. breaking him into the podcast world yeah, with people yeah. he's he's familiar with. Next week, we're, who who do you not get along with? We'll have them on maybe next. You like everybody. I don't get along with like I have spats with people, but nothing like, major. There's nobody. There's nobody. I, yeah. I no. This is a challenge, Corey. Find somebody. I've got the first two guests. Get the third. You're the next. Try to uh, try to try to put me in a bad place. Okay. Try to we're put gonna, me in a bad place. We're gonna ruffle Jake's feathers on the third guest, make him feel a little uncomfy, a little uncomfy on the podcast world. But now nah, we don't know who our third guest is. But we don't have a podcast name. We will have a podcast name by episode three. We got a bunch written oh, down we on were paper. Supposed to, we were supposed to ask Hacker. Oh, we didn't ask Hacker about a podcast yeah, name. Yeah, I'll text him. After. Any fans out there listening, send me a message. Send send Jake a message on Instagram. Let's get a podcast name going. We got a few ideas here, but nothing set in stone. But drop us a follow on SoundCloud. We should be up on Spotify, iTunes here in the near future. And uh, let's keep this thing going. Keep it rolling. Thanks for everybody for tuning in. Christmas is coming. Christmas. A couple days. Hanukkah. By the time this is posted, it'll probably have already been uh, come and gone. But, yeah, looking forward to uh, unplugging from the racing world for a couple days, enjoying, uh, you know, me and Jake both have young, keen? Young, what's the word? We have a son and a daughter. Young loin loin fruit. Yeah. Loin (laughs) fruit. Fruit of our loins. Toddlers. Yeah, there we go. Is she a toddler? Yeah, I guess she is. She's still one. Year and a half. Okay, that's toddlerish. That's toddlerish. But, um, yeah, we're. Jack's like a teenager already. Yeah. You got a girl. You have a boy. You have a girl. girl. I'm. I'm. Yeah. You. Yeah. I feel good about it. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, no, we're we're, going to enjoy the holidays with our family and friends, and I hope you guys all did the same. We'll check back in. Episode three upcoming. Once again, thanks everybody for tuning in, and, uh, catch you later. Yeah, thanks. Hopefully, yeah, peace. Episode three coming. This episode was sponsored by Landshark. Put put about case down on this one. Also sponsored by Tito's Vodka. (laughs) That's That's tomorrow and Christmas. Yeah. I got two bottles I need to get rid of. See you guys later. Thank you. Peace.